Who was the best number 48 in the AFL in 2023? Find out on the season finale of Americans Watching the Footy. Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the Footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way, I want to jump over the pack, and here he comes! My name is Benjamin Castle. I'm here with my brother Ethan in South San Francisco, California. This is the 74th and final episode of Season 2 of Americans Watching the Footy, Episode 146 overall. You can call it Episode 100 Mason if you want. This is Part 3 of 3 in our Best Buy Numbers series. By episode number, is this season slightly longer or shorter than last season? I think they came out to about the same length. Two more episodes total, sir. So last year was 72 and this one's 74? Yep. I did math. Cool. Yeah, you did do math. Should I be impressed? Not really. By the way, if you hear us just like randomly breaking into cheers at some point, we've got a um, college football bowl game on in the background and there is a very, very high chance that the University of Kansas can break the single game penalty yardage record. See, this is the fun thing about college football. Where, like, in the NFL, this would be awful and unwatchable, and in college, this is fun. Oh, it's incredibly endearing. It's sickos. And we aspire to be kind of AFL sickos at times. I know that some of the sickos committee were interested in getting into Australian rules, so let's definitely get on them for that during oh, this, uh... God, yes. A- absolutely, yeah. Those are the sort of people that can really help us, like, expand this thing, get this thing growing. Yeah, let's really latch on to that if we can. So, part one, we went through numbers 1 to 16. Last time, numbers 17 to 33. So we're going to pick things up with number 34. And it's Ben. Ben King, the the clear-cut winner here. Gold Coast's leading goal kicker on return from an ACL injury that cost him all of 2022. Shortlist here includes Jack Graham and Bailey L. Williams, I want to say. It's Bailey L. for the Bulldogs, right? You know, when I look up Bailey L. Williams, I don't find I just find Bailey Williams and Bailey J. Williams. But yes, I believe he is Bailey L. Williams. His Wikipedia article doesn't have a uh, middle name. It does say, however, he is commonly referred to as the horse germ. That's got to be something somebody randomly added. Is this going to be the AFL equivalent of the Bangladesh hammer? Uh, no, I have found. Okay, I found on the Bulldogs website from 2018, nickname... Horse, comma, germ. So maybe he's not known as the horse germ, but he's known as both horse and germ separately. Oh my goodness. Oh no, it was taken off the Wikipedia article. I I know. You know what I'm talking about, Ethan? Yes. The Bangladesh hammer. It's still showing on his, like, uh, Google info, though. Good. See, I am a fan. I don't know if we've talked about this much, but I am a fan of creative Wikipedia vandalism. Like, just replacing somebody's whole page with, like, 
8 equal sign equal sign equal sign D. That's not creative. Now, coming up with a made-up fictitious nickname. That is creative, such as referring to former Major League infielder Jack Hanahan as the Bangladesh Hammer. He has no connection to Bangladesh whatsoever. He's just a good, immaculate grit answer. So I'm I'm a fan of creative stuff. Also, you didn't hear this from me, but you can get vandalism to stay up on Wikipedia way longer if you like cite a source with it. You know, formatted correctly. Nope. You know, who cares if the source is total bullshit? Just have that little tag next to it, and it's way, way more believable looking. That is true. Let's uh let's get back to Ben King though, yeah? Yes. So only 40 goals, but that was enough to lead the Suns. Uh, I think that's part of their problems. Tough for them to get some of that delivery at times, and it, the plan was sometimes a little too obvious to get it toward him. I still believe that their best move would have been to have Bobby Ochoa playing alongside him, but he's now a Hawk. That said, also, I noticed recently that I say that said a lot, and I'm going to try to say it less. Do we need a shock collar? Not quite, but... uh. There were some games where King would go off. There were some games where Vindo Lukosius would go off. Some games where Noah Anderson just had great long kicking ability. It's not as if the Suns were like a completely inept offensive team. Looking at their stats compared to other teams, it was defense that was a bigger issue for them. They were one of only five teams to allow over 2,000 points. Now, they were outside of the upper half scoring-wise, but not by a ton. Yeah, I think that points to being thin defensively after Charlie Ballard and Sam Collins. And Ballard got figured out a bit in the second half of the season. Will Powell's injury certainly not helping there either. Can we like say something here about like differences between Ben and Max in any of their in their play styles a bit? What what I will say is I've noticed, especially before his ACL injury, Ben King had a bit more of the the running half forward play in him, whereas Max was more of a steady. 450 target. I wanted to see more of that running ability from Ben this year because he has good open field instincts. Uh, and it would have been nice to vary things up, maybe have him a bit further out at times, mess up some of the defensive structures for their opponents, could keep Levi Casbolt deep, could keep Jared Witts deep as a mark, maybe. That would be a way to get him involved more offensively. I think just the thing with Ben is you don't see him deal with like the wave of confidence coming or going like you have with Max, where Max, you know, if he hits his first shot, you're screwed. If he misses his first, he might kick like one five for the day. I don't think Ben had any of those horrendous outings like that this past year, did he? Nothing comes to mind that's that bad. I mean, he did have that four goal stretch where he didn't have a goal and ended up being subbed off in round 17. Worked through that slump, though, and then got on the right side of things with a five-goal outing in the Q Clash win over the Brisbane Lions and then got hurt again, right as he had figured things out, right as he had gotten over that, his season was ended early. So he's got a lot off which he can build, being able to get through a rough patch while still having a solid recovery year. And I want to say things are looking up for the Suns, but I have no clue. Ah, really? There was an offsides penalty, but not against Kansas. Got eight minutes left. Aiden changed for them to make history here. You're going to start seeing more and more of those top guys, though, like Sam Taylor and Jacob Wiedering going to King, though. So how's he going to be able to deal with that? The Suns are such a weird question mark right now for the coming season. 
new coach. But yeah, that's that's kind of the biggest yeah. thing. Well, well, also, you know, there is going to be one big thing that helps them there. Big in terms of physically as well. And that's Jed Walter coming in. So they'll have another target there they'll have to pay attention to. Uh, ready to move on? Is number 35 obvious enough? Yeah, it is. Here's the thing. I do want to mention some other candidates, as always. Second place, I think, is pretty clearly Jack Sinclair. Yes. Also, give credit to Nathan Broad, Patrick Dangerfield, Caleb Daniel, but this was always going to be Nick Dacos. I'm going to let Benjamin do most of the talking here, but I'm going to open things up. First off, I don't like just gravitating towards a guy who's like, you know, the automatic big-time anointed best player. I like to be a hater. I like to be a critic. But Nick Dacos is pretty damn good. Most of all, what really impressed me, some of the passes he makes by hand, some of the creativity and field vision he displays. Because, like, there are areas in his game that aren't great. Like, he's not the most physical guy. Still has a lot to prove in terms of one-on-one defense. But, yeah, in terms of just ball movement and creativity and instincts, he's got that at, like, a veteran level while still having the body of a young guy that hasn't been, you know, beaten up too much in this sport. I mean, we'll see how things are long-term with him. Did have that first serious injury late in the season that he suffered in the Hawthorne game. Obviously, got over that and played quite well in the finals. Had the opening goal of the grand final. For someone who was cast as a halfback in his first year, he had kind of the least of the offensive instincts that you would expect from a halfback, but it's not like that has hurt Collingwood's game. They've had enough of defensive cover there. It's more that he was there as a ball mover and... During the season, they put him more and more into the center, and he ended up being able to create some of those chains there. Maybe it was Tom Mitchell or Scott Pendlebury feeding out to him, maybe out to his brother Josh, maybe up to Jordan Degoe. But he's got a lot of responsibility already, being so central to their movement, and it doesn't phase him at all. And for someone who's that young and has that much pressure on him, just with the name that he has, along with just the pure playing expectations, that's what impresses me the most about him. And he's another guy who handles the media extremely well. I can only imagine how much time was spent by his family and and his coaches kind of training him for that because they knew it would be coming his way. Super high possession guy. This year, as we do our own Brownlow votes, I'm going to really try to inspect his game more closely. There's the penalty. Kansas just got a that's number 20. Kansas just got a pass interference penalty. That will take them up to how many yards is it? 210? It's over 200 for sure. That is an all-time single-game college record in a Division One FBS, Division One a Oh, yeah, and they're up three scores. Yes, they're going to win this bowl game against UNLV. This bowl game being played, of course, at a baseball park. I'm not sure if that was a face mask or a hold or a P.I., but penalty team for 210, and they're winning this game. There's about half a quarter left. Hell yeah, boys. And they're likely to win this game because they're up 19. Almost got another. Almost got another. This is, this is amazing. Like, now I want to know, like, what's the NFL record for 50-meter penalties in a game? Ooh, good question. Do we have these sorts of things? I mean, I remember one time that I think it was uh, in the second Western Derby of 2022, Caleb Sarong gave away 150 meters in penalties at once from like 
a couple punches and something else. I remember that. Obviously, um, Dustin Martin and Josh Caddy combined for 100, given to Tom Rockliffe in that 2020 game against Port. I feel like Swamp would have something on this. Obviously, Barry Hall has given away three in about 20 seconds before. I need to figure this out now. This is going to be good stuff. Oh, we, speaking of 50s, we forgot when we were talking about um, Brent Daniels that an umpire accidentally called Xavier O'Halloran Brent like multiple times, and it led to a 50 in that awfully umpired game against the Blues. So got to bring that up there. In short, Nick Dacos worth the hype? Yeah. Um, this coming year, I'll be watching his actual game much more closely because like I said, normally I don't pay as much attention to the people that are like universally considered really good. Yeah, I mean, they're going to try to pay more attention to his game and get a real sense of what is it that he's so great at. Yeah, we like looking for the less obvious guy. Yeah, we like I like telling you things that you can't easily find out. Yeah, it was pretty obvious that he's the best 35. And I think it's pretty obvious also that Kazi Pickett is still the best 36. Despite it being more of a down year for him, obviously some disciplinary issues with just that ridiculous launching attack on Bailey Smith in round one. Still a co-leading goal kicker for the D's this year, along with Bailey Fritch. If we had to rank a couple other 36s to round out the podium, Ollie Henry up to second? Yeah, simply because Joel Amarty just wasn't wasn't on the field enough. I was honestly thinking at the start of the year that Amarty would pass Kazi if we had to rank our 36s in. If he were on the field more, I could have totally seen that happen. There wasn't any one like super crazy game that Kazi had. It was really round one that he stole the show the most because he had four goals in that game. And then was the talk of all the match review afterwards because it was just kind of a shock to see that he was only suspended for two games. Kazi did have a bit more of a pressure role this year compared to last. Averaged right around four tackles a game, and I think that's better for Melbourne that he's involved in more of that on-the-ground work. We talk about them as a team having, like, at times too rigid of a forward structure, and he breaks some of that up. He does. Patrak is able to break it up from the middle. Kazi, when he ventures out of those forward pockets, is able to break it up, too, and I think we need more of that. We need to see more of that from the Demons. Like in American football, you know, explosive plays and splash plays and like in basketball, you know, creating stuff for yourself. And I think that's somewhere that, yeah, a guy like Kazi Pickett fits quite well. He's like the funny equivalent of that. A guy like Kazi, a guy like Shea Bolton, Zach Bailey can somewhat be like that, to name a couple other guys that we talked about in part two. I want to mention a Zach Bailey thing I forgot to mention in the last one. We talked about the gritty. Whenever he scored a goal, Lions posted the the gif of him, and it was just like him doing this incredibly vaudeville-like, just a white, really bad grit. Just this white-ass vaudeville-like gritty. Anyway, there's a guy on Instagram. I recommend you follow him. Jerry Hits the Gritty. He's this Asian dude. I think he lives in, like, near Philadelphia, judging by what I can tell. But uh, he just posts a video every day of himself hitting the gritty. How long has this gone on for? Uh, today was day number 580. Oh my god. There was one day where he posted it late. But yeah, most nights I can reliably pull up Instagram and watch Jerry hit the gritty. Yeah, so he's gone on with this for well over a, a year and a half now. Yeah. And he shows no sign of giving up. Yeah, the last Kazi thing I want to talk about before we continue down the list. Uh, the round 19 game against Adelaide, he was a super high impact player. Only kicked two goals, but 11 score involvements, 20 disposals. 
couple assists as well. If I recall correctly, he helped him get out to a lead and then Adelaide kind of closed the gap late and Melbourne hung on. Yeah, that sounds about right. I feel like that, that might be one of the D's games I need to go back and watch the most that, that isn't like one that's super frequently discussed because obviously the games against the Blues will come up. The ones against Collingwood, the Brisbane game the round before. I think the Crows one in comparison falls under the radar. Moving on to number 37. We ended up choosing kind of a midfield forward wing over a defenseman. Honorable mentions go to Tom Barris and Josh Weddle. I think a year ago it probably would have been Barris, but injuries and just wasn't as effective this year. Second place, Brandon Starcevich. The winner, Nick Martin. I think this is a pretty clear-cut winner. I think he made such a huge jump. You know, my impression of him in the 2022 season was he got this rising star nominee for a game that he scored a bunch of garbage time goals and it should have been Josh Rochelle instead. That That's one was. Yes, I couldn't remember. Thank you. Oh, it, it was. And then he actually had a bunch of really quality performances as the year went on. Was he second to the rising star in 2022 behind Dacos? I don't know, but this year he was runner up in best young player behind, uh, guess who? Uh, no, Martin was uh, fifth in the rising star in 2022. Gidevin fourth, Newcomb third, Sam DeConning second, and Nick Dacos, the unanimous winner in 2022. Yeah, that's fair. That just makes me want Sam DeConning to bounce back this year. Call it a sophomore slump. Coming into this season, I thought of Martin as just a capable wing who has the speed to get out back at times, and he did end up playing mostly as a wing, but as the season went on and some injuries piled up for Essendon, especially when Zach Merritt was down for a bit, he had more time on the inside and showed a lot of capability there. The other thing that stood out to me was his goal accuracy. 17 goals, four for the year. Now, that's obviously a combination of getting open a decent amount, having easy marks, but also just plain and simple converting. And for a very natural midfielder to be able to have a finishing touch like that is you know, a really strong supplementary skill, something that reminds me of his captain. He was, I think, a pretty pleasant surprise for Essendon this past year. The issue if you recall, was defense. Yeah, I, I didn't really think of it as much of a surprise, honestly, most of the things about him, but I think it was mostly what he was able to do on the inside that impressed me the most. Him and also, I'm not sure if we ever mentioned him in terms of the number eight way earlier, but the goblin himself, not dead Ben Hobbs. I hope we did. We had him on the sh on the list, so... On the long list? Yeah, I think we've included just about everyone on the long list. Good. The game that really drew my attention to Martin's inside capabilities was the night before King's birthday, also known as the Circle of 32 game. Oh, yeah. That was that. Yes. Uh, How about 30 disposals, 12 contested, 9 marks, 8 inside 50s, 7 clearances, and 3 votes? For one, Nick Martin. Now that is a player that I would love to see come home to the West at some point because he is a Subiaco product. A man can dream. I can dream, Harold! Number 38. This is one of the one gets pretty thin simply because guy who actually probably would have earned it this year was just hurt too much. I mean, we were choosing between a bunch of guys who were hurt, basically. Jack Henry was hurt a lot and it showed. Tristan Jerry was maybe our second favorite going into the season, but he was sidelined even more. Lockie Scholl was in and out of the Crows lineup, but showed some promise. 
And so our winner, even having missed rounds two through 14 after suffering three separate breaks in his arm in the first round, is none other than, at long last, Premiership defender Jeremy Howe. I was surprised he even got back into action this year, let alone as quickly as he did, considering the the type of injury that he had. Three separate breaks, including a compound fracture. It, yeah, that was, like, a legitimately bad injury. It was one of those injuries that they refused to show, and it's, it's not just, like, the American hypersensitivity to certain injuries. They're more willing to show that sort of contact in other countries, but even Fox Footy and Seven didn't show it again. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame them. Yeah, it was a collision with Tyson Stengel, I believe. But still a very important defender. Has the ability to go forward. He scored three goals in a loss to Carlton that... Ooh, 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 now we got fights! We got a post-game fight now! A post-game fight when you win after committing 210 yards of penalties? Okay, it's mostly just pushing and shoving. I think they're getting him out of there. Now I hope these teams play again soon. Anyway... Jeremy Howe at times even went forward. I was he's ever super keen on him going forward just because it messed up things structurally for them. Yes, he's capable of it, but it seems like a real last resort option, and you'd rather have Howe back there than a fellow premiership player in Billy Frampton, as hard as that is to believe, because Billy Frampton, I think of all the guys on this list. He's probably one of the least likely to be back on here next year, and that's not so much a knock on him. It's just I can't see the crop of 38 being so thin, whether it's that someone's healthier or someone breaks out. And he'll also be 34 by that point. Now, there are some guys older than him that obviously appear on this list, guys like his teammate Scott Pendlebury. But you've got to think that between the other guys that we mentioned in Jack Henry, Lockie Scholl, and Tristan Cherry. One of them will shine through next year, and my bet would be on Cherry to have more of a breakthrough, especially now that Todd Goldstein isn't there anymore. That is going to be so weird to see Todd Goldstein wearing an Essendon jumper. I wanted him in hoops, even though he would have been like our third guy there. He still would have looked right. He still would have been behind John Segler. No. <laughs> Number 39? Decent pool here. Hardly any midfielders wear 39, we've realized. Uh... Candidates who are considered include the unfortunately injured Tom Dude, Jason Johannesson, who before he pulled his hamstring was on an absolute heater to start the year. He was playing as well as he did during the 2016 finals run, if not better. And someone else who got off to a really strong start of the season and then cooled off with some injury was Sam Switkowski, who was someone that we had been hoping would have a real strong year just to keep Frio in the mix. And even with him healthy, that just did not happen. Our runner-up was Zach Guthrie. Zach Guthrie, one of the most pleasant surprises this year for the Cats. If you had told me... Really the past two, right? Yeah, if you had told me that this team would miss finals, I wouldn't have expected so much positive development out of Zach Guthrie. He's just become this quietly, fundamentally solid defender. He's gotten a lot stronger, put on a lot of muscle, and just instead of being like a, you know, a guy you can point out mistakes from a lot of times... When I'm pointing him out, they're just like high instinct plays. Like he's got a very high football IQ. And they finally realized the past couple of years, wait, he's different from his brother and that's okay. Yeah, making him into more of a true defender, although I'm sure he could slide forward if he had to. But yeah, at first they were trying to squish him into that same sort of mold that Cam is in when in fact two different players, two different body types, different skill sets, two friendship players. Yep. But our winner here is Connor Iden, who... Coming into this year, 
I had as a real question mark on the Giants because we'd seen him forward, we'd seen him in defense, and we never thought he was really solid in either spot. We thought he was really liable for some of their defensive lapses in 2022, and we were unsure of where he was really going to end up. The answer is kind of as a tertiary defender for the Giants in a role that really worked out for him. Running through what I said online last year about Iden, what I tweeted out, I was just very unsure of of him really anywhere, a bit undisciplined. But as the Giants got to their winning ways this year, around the midpoint, he found much more of a home in defense. It was one of the biggest improvers in their defensive group. He got more direct assignments all year, and I remember him having a really hands-on game against Geelong that really frustrated you. I think that was another one where it was like, we're letting this guy beat us. Oh, less so. I mean, I knew he was a solid player, but to give up nine intercepts to him was a lot. This yeah, he definitely proved that he was more than just a ball-moving defender. While he is pretty good at that and covers a lot of ground, just his defensive instincts have gotten a lot better. His ability in one-on-ones, his intercepting ability... He really shored up that defensive structure that we talked about when we talked about Himmelberg and a couple others. By the way, I'm just going to mention this. He was born in London. Also, he played for the Geelong Falcons. Yeah, so you know, there's there's always a spot for you. Always a spot. His old teammate Tanner Brood learned that. Wouldn't mind having him instead of Jake Kolajashny if Kolajashny has another year as bad as he did. And he's only 23. Come on down. I did not expect you to be harping on Kolajashny as much as... He you had been. He was awful last year, or well, this year. I, I mean, just it was like almost as bad as 2021 Lockie Henderson. It was really and just so much of a departure from the form that he had shown in the back half of 2022 when you had said really it was using Cola Jashti who were those last ingredients to a premiership defense. Is it accurate, do you think, to say that more defenders wear higher numbers than forwards, or is it just the better of them that we have on this list? I think a lot of it's been random distribution. I guess, especially for guys who are laid into the team, especially supplemental guys just get handed whatever number is left, and that's usually in the 30s or the 40s. That's why, you know, we were always questioning, you know, are we going to have enough guys to complete this list and go 1 to 50? And thankfully we did. Now we are into the 40s with Jack Payne. Other players considered at number 40, Ash Johnson, Seamus Mitchell, Eddie Ford. We have already spoken a bit about Eddie Ford when it came to Norse attack in relation to Nick Larkey in part two. We are big Eddie Ford believers. And I can firmly say I was the one who got you to pay attention to Eddie Ford. Yeah, he's really good. But Payne seems the pretty clear winner here. He had played 27 games in his first three seasons, played 23 this year and proved himself to be very capable as a top one-on-one defender. The game that really alerted us to his skill set was in round eight when he held Charlie Curnow goalless in a 1v1. I think Curnow had one goal in the game, but it was when Payne wasn't playing on him. That was one of the Lions' most convincing wins of the year. Now, he'd had some time as a loose back before that. You can think about the Anzac week in Canberra for that, but I think the Lions defense starts with Harris Andrews, and it starts with him mostly playing that sweeping role. And what enables him to do that? It's Payne being on this deepest target. And you didn't have that in the grand final. Yes, Collingwood don't have that one great contested mark, 
but they have enough of a collective there that's able to do that, that his absence was really felt. Could have really used him at times in matchups against guys like Brody Majacek. Round seven against Frio, eight intercepts and eight marks playing against Luke Jackson. The concern you would have, like, when you first watch Payne is like, ooh, is he going to be a little too slow? No, he moves pretty well despite his size. You know, size and speed are usually kind of inversely proportional, and he's able to defy that in a pretty positive way. 197 centimeters. Something like 6'5". I think 6'5". And 101 kilos, which is 223 pounds. But yeah, can move just fine. Now, when it comes to his spot next year, left out of the grand final, I think it's pretty clear that he needed to be in over Darcy Gardner, despite the game that Gardner did have in the prelim. Then he got some older guys in there, like Ryan Lester, who had a more prominent role to play this year, but could make way, especially once Tom Duday comes in. I think Duday would be a good type to have on a secondary target, especially as he's coming back from his ACL injury while keeping Payne as that primary one-on-one defender. Am I missing anything there? Uh, that seems pretty straightforward. I mean, I just, when healthy, Payne should be playing. Hey, uh... Who was that guy that I said Payne should have been matched up against in the red final? Uh, Brody Majacek. Hey, number 41. I don't think even we had realized how consistent of a goal kicker Majacek has been. Yeah, uh, fifth year in a row, he's been Collingwood's leading goal kicker. He's led them in every full season he's had. And since he debuted in 2018, only five players have kicked more goals than his 212. Not like he's, you know, usually out there bagging like seven or anything. He hasn't even kicked more than five in a game. Debuted partway through the 2018 season, round 11, and stayed in the lineup ever since. As we said, Collingwood don't have that one extremely strong forward target, but Majacek has the ability with his verticality to play taller than he is. And the past three years, he's kicked 34, 41, and 47 goals respectively. And he's been more and more accurate each year. The vertical ability and just the physical strength. And he had the scorpion kick goal, didn't he? Wasn't that him? No, scorpion is like when you're kicking like totally like behind yourself. Yeah, it was the bicycle. That's right. That was against Nick Blakey. Right. I thought it was against like Frio or something, but I totally were. No, it was Ashcroft's goal was against Frio. I know that. But okay. Anyway, I remember that goal very well. Yeah, that one. Aha. Oh, yeah. Have it in the notes. Yeah, it was a round eight part of his five goal game against the Swans. That was actually his first career five goal game. And he had one more this season against Geelong in round 22. Surprising with the kicking ability that he has that he'd never gotten five in a game before. Looking at his tables, has he ever had a season where he's kicked a goal in every game? Because it seems like then... You would have to think, just considering the number of goals he scored. He's actually not yet. Wow. The closest he came was in 2018, since uh, from debut in round 11, he was goalless round 20 that year against Sydney. No, he's never had a season where he's kicked a goal in every game. That's just found a way to the 30s or 40s most years. And remember, he entered the league as a mature age guy. He entered the league coming off a uh, strong run with Port Melbourne of the VFL at age 25. He's already 30. He'll be 31 by the time next season rolls around. But maybe less wear and tear on him. If he's completely healthy this year, he'll be looking at maybe getting to game 150 and still looks like he's got a lot of mileage. Our other 41 candidates, we have Judd McVie second, 
McVie already top 10 best and fairest in Melbourne's count. One of the biggest and best surprises in terms of young defenders throughout the league this year took on more one-on-one responsibility and against bigger targets than we had expected, but was the right guy for the job. Other players that came to mind, I would say Mal Rosas was probably third, just a favorite of ours also. And we were waiting to see more out of Jed McEntee and Jordan Butts this year, but it didn't quite happen. I, I think we had a pretty solid ranking here, especially a podium for number 41. It is time to take our final break of the season. How's it feel? Like I got a poop? We've done this a bunch of times. If you're new here, I, w- I would be surprised if this is anyone's first time listening, just considering we had, you know, this is part three of a series. And also it's December. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we picked up some listeners, just people who are starved for footy content. Just, I would have thought it would have been, you know, for the first episode of this instead of, you know, the third. But if you are just getting familiar we are on Twitter at Americans Footy, Instagram and YouTube at those same handles as well. I am on Twitter at Castle Media. I am at BenjaminHK01. But more importantly than that, um, Ethan's got a cat. His name is Grian. He's on Instagram at cat named Grian. And with that, off to number 42. And I'm not sure if the cat would like this one, because what do people say about this guy? Woof. Here's the remarkable thing about Adam Saad. Now, normally when a player cuts their bounces in half, it's not really a big deal. When it's Adam Saad, yeah, that's a big fucking deal. Because he cut it from 113 in 22 games in 2022 to 55 bounces in 26 games in 2023. Now, that could just have to do with kind of his usage, where he's taking the ball, how teams are defending him. Because if you're bouncing... Generally, it means you've got space to run. So I don't think it's necessarily so much a good thing or a bad thing as it is just an interesting thing. I did also see, you know, having fewer of those frivolous bounces in the defensive 50, like right after taking possession. Again, we were wondering, was he thinking like that if he bounced it enough times before running, he would just store it up and then run almost like a rugby player? I don't know, like a meter you fill up or something. Like in a video game, I don't know. I thought I thought it was fun. We've had discussions about this before, but as for his actual effectiveness as a player, I think he had a pretty solid year. Very good kick to get out of the defensive fifty. Pretty accurate. I don't think there was anything that you know blew anybody away about his game this year, other than maybe a bit more involvement in terms of marking and defense at times. Definitely the case in some of the Blues' more notable wins, including round two against Geelong. 22 against Melbourne, and 23, the real battle there against Gold Coast, which I recommend people take a look at again for multiple reasons, just to see where the Suns were at the end of the year and how the Blues battled back within that game. It was pretty funny that, you know, they had all these people outside the stadium, like, cheering them as they came out of the out of the rooms for making a final. Like, kind of a low bar to clear. A low bar to clear when it hadn't been cleared in 10 years. And even when they had cleared it, they had finished ninth in 2013. Thanks, Stephen Dank. Uh, we listed Robbie Fox as our runner-up. Other candidates in 42, Alex Keith, the former cricketer, and Mark O'Connor. Who showed more than just a tag. Yeah, him. although I liked him as just like the tag god. He, he, he can be more than that is the point. 
yeah, I thought there were times when we should have used him as a tag and didn't. Like, I don't know, against Caleb Sorong, that was a pretty big one. Twice. In terms of Fox, I think he's finally on the main list now. About damn time. It had more importance this year when healthy with the injuries that the Swans backward pad with Tom McCartan, Dane Rampey, all missing time. Even Lewis Malkin going down with a hamstring injury. And speaking of Malkin, he was our runner-up for 43. And had he been healthier, he would have had a strong case to really maybe take that spot. I feel pretty confident in who we picked, though. We went with Cooper Sharman, other honorable mentions, Riley O'Brien, and of course, one last time... Really, for the sake of that, I don't think we're going to... Like, look, he played in a couple games, I don't care, he was still... He's still the best. We still love Walla, as should you. Riley O'Brien, um, kind of similar to Jared Witts, you know, hit ball, gets hit outs, doesn't do much else. And yet, despite the way he plays, he'd probably have been better at giving concussion evaluations than Mark Fisher. Uh, Lewis Melican, pretty versatile defender who can do some rock stuff as well. Melican really picked up the slack when Rampy was out, but I feel pretty comfortable with Cooper Sharman being our 43 pick here. Kind of one of the unsung heroes of that Saints forward group that didn't get a ton of attention outside of Max King, because look at the style they play, look at their coaches. This was his most active year yet at the AFL level. It was a mid-season pick of the Saints in 2021 and played 16 games this year, so still a lot of room for growth. And after having a slow start to the season and being the sub, I think four games in a row, he was elevated in round 16 and kicked 12 goals to three behinds over his final nine games. He really looks like he could be that secondary forward target, even had a little bit of time as more of a primary option when Max King was out. Sharman, a South Australian native who made a debut as everybody's favorite, the unused medical sub back in 2021. I like how he used to act like that was the worst thing anyone could ever do to anybody. Uh, it's It was just kind of lame. It's extremely lame, especially when people make such a big deal out of a debut. If you're, you gotta, at least now you pretty much are promised time unless the coach is an extreme dick. Yeah. For that to happen now with the current sub rule would be, that would be interesting. Like closer to Eighth Amendment cruel and unusual punishment stuff. You've got the whole family there. You made a big deal out of it. You sit on the bench the entire game, even when the coach has the ability to pull the trigger. And he has some really strong contested marquee ability. He might have taken, I remember he took a really strong hanger. It might have been for like one of the opening goals, if not the opener of that elimination final against the Giants, which just stood out because it was against a defensive unit that had proven our, that had proven us wrong in a good way throughout the season. And because there weren't too many other positive moments for the Saints in said final. Yeah, kicked two goals in that one, had four multi-goal games down the stretch when he hadn't had any since 2021. So a lot of room for growth still and you know not the biggest guy 193 centimeters 83 kilos would like to see for him to put on you know a little bit more bulk a little bit more muscle a lot to be a bit stronger remark in support of max king but potential is definitely there and i hope that ross lyon seizes some of the potential that Sharman showed this past year all right um we're just gonna spoil it right here the next three are all geelong and i feel like all the choices are Pretty obvious. Well, number 44, actually, there was a lot of debate when we did this, and... I was fighting really strongly for Tim English. It was the last of the really tough ones to decide. Easily the best crop out of the highest numbers. From here, it gets a little simpler. 
it gets definitely really thin once you get past 46. 44, we had four up there who were all pretty strong candidates. There was a pretty clear top three, though. No disrespect to Jake Lloyd. There is nothing wrong with being behind three All-Australians. Yeah, uh, Tim English, Callum Wilkie, and the winner, Tom Stewart. I just find it really hard to overlook English when you saw, but we saw throughout the season his full field capability. He is maybe the most versatile out of the Ruckman in the league, and I know that he had you know trained as a midfielder for a while before just having a big growth spurt in his early to mid-teens that allowed him that Ruck ability, and he plays like it too, consistently able to not just demolish in the Ruck, but have a decent amount of, say, outside that immediate contest. Look, I really like Tim English, and I think when we do start doing our own Brownlow votes, I think he's actually going to really hurt Bonten Libba. I mean, I would not be surprised if the dogs have a resurgent season if the dude ends up winning it, because that's how much we appreciate him, and that's how much of an impact that he can have even when Bonten and Libertori are there. I think the argument in favor of Stewart was that Maybe overall, he had more impact on the team, whether good or bad, and it was almost always good. Like, you could, with the exception of like one game against Frio, or honestly, maybe two, you can point out the couple bad games he's had in the past few years. But we're not rewarding consistency over these past years. We're really looking at 2023 in particular, but it is pretty remarkable that he's a five time All Australian in the past six years. And you can't really argue with any of those selections. Even as Sam DeConing got hurt and then struggled, even as Jack Henry was hurt. Wait, sorry, Sam DeConing, don't you mean um, Bane? Or was he more Batman? Did he go for the Batman costume on Mad Monday? I think so. Either way, it didn't work, and I hope he never does again, because he did not play well with the Rip Hamilton mask. I was going to say my first thought was, Richard, Rip Hamilton. We've talked about the Pistons a lot lately. Anyway... Yeah, Tom Stewart, just regularly 20-plus disposals, regularly around 10 marks, tons of intercepts, tons of intercept marks. Whether he's in a one-on-one role or a roaming role, does a really good job of kind of fluctuating between the two and improvising, where a lot of it's just instinct. Yeah, and it's it's not like Geelong has as anywhere near as rigid a defensive structure as, say, the Brisbane Lions do or the Giants do. And Stewart is really given license to do whatever the hell he wants and for the team to kind of shake themselves around that and there are few players if any others in the league currently who have that sort of free reign in defense yeah see it's a lot easier to coach a defense when he's a part of it because you can just let him improvise and do his thing every now and then he takes a gamble that doesn't work and you know shifts away from a man to go cover someone else leave someone open but Generally speaking, I don't know of too many defenders that are given as much trust and flexibility as him. Like, you can make an argument for Sam Taylor as the best tall defender in the game. The best one-on-one defender. Yeah, but Stewart, from an instinct standpoint, a flexibility standpoint, letting him just kind of go do Tom Stewart stuff. And play on guys well above his size, too. He's only 190. So a little under 6'3 in non-communist measurements. Fair enough. Like, DeLong regularly has one of the shorter defensive units and it doesn't particularly hurt them. Well, sometimes it's not just height, it's the ability to be physical. I mean, it's not the size, it's how you use it. Am I right, men? And hell yeah. And ladies? Hells yeah. And whoever else I forgot to mention? Yeah, we're woke now. (laughs) 
Is Yabber Woke now our title? Tom Stewart frequently destroys the Bulldogs. He did in round 12 at Marvel. They just kind of keep kicking it at him and it doesn't work. Round 15 against the D's, he was voted best on the ground. And then the next week against the Swans, he was basically the only player to show up and pretty much salvaged two points out of that game all by himself. Was pretty much the only thing that prevented the Swans from blowing that game open because he was so dependable as a rebound defender. Yes, the Swans also did some of it to themselves with their poor kicking, but he was good. Football was the winner that night. Their inability to kick for goal does not undermine how good he was that night. All right, moving on to number 45. The list here was uh, two guys. We got a few of these lists that are just two guys, and it's the first one where we've only listed two. Uh, yeah, I, I doubt that's the case. Yeah. more of those moving ahead. Uh, well, that's one really fun one. Yeah, well, that, that just tells you just how few players even have these jumper numbers at this point. The runner-up was actually a pretty solid runner-up, and I've got a lot of good things to say about Tyler Young in his first year. A lot of responsibility later on in the season at Richmond and proved himself to be a pretty strong one-on-one -on -one defender for a guy brand new into the league. I've said that I hope Richmond build their future defense around Tyler Young, and if Noah Balta continues to stay in defense, which I'm not sure he will, and that would be a solution there, but Young can be that centerpiece already. But the winner here is a pretty different player from Tyler Young, and you're welcome, Rory. Yeah, even though there are games when close would go missing or get underutilized, he's easily the most impactful number 45. When he gets the ball, really good things happen. It's he's not got game changing speed. It's not rocket science, but it feels like Geelong sometimes overthink it. It can be tough to find ways to incorporate all three of him, Myers, and Stengel, but I think we got towards that last year, actually, especially with Myers becoming the field scanner. Close maybe doing a bit more of that on the outside to Myers on the inside. Yeah, the bad news for Close is he went from 46 scoring shots down to 27. The good news is he went from kicking 26-20 to 21-6. Kicked four goals against the Eagles, had six score involvements in that win over the Bulldogs had 24 disposals and six intercepts, and took on Jake Lever in a round 15 win over the Demons. He earned four frees that game and didn't give up any against probably the toughest individual defensive assignment of his career. I wish he had gotten more praise in that game because going back and looking at that, leading up to recording that episode, and then just going back since watching that Thursday nighter, which you could argue was Geelong, the peak of Geelong's season, I just kept looking back at the work Close did in that one-on-one -on -one and just never expecting it from him because I hadn't seen him be cast like that. Was there was there an injury to that that really forced that? Was Stengel out? Did, no, wasn't that the game where Jeremy Cameron got knocked the fuck out? There it is. That would make, that makes sense because you, you wouldn't put Stengel on Lever. Yeah. Other cool things about Brad Close, he started his own, like, golf clothing line. Jeez, maybe he and Bo McCreary need to do a collab. Anytime the... Offense is struggling to create something or needs a spark. I just start indiscriminately yelling for Brad Close to get more involved because it actually works. I mean, what else can we say? He's a life changer. Well, we can make our footy pilgrimage. We need to actually bring a poster with with that on it and have him sign it. And we also just need to actually like make it happen with him. It's like you need to say thank you for changing my life and have him respond. I'm literally Brad Close. Yes. Number 46, 
is probably the last of the really tight ones. I think it's the last of the actual debates we have here as we round this out. This could be a very fast second segment, honestly, Yeah, in, in comparison, just because these aren't as prominent players. But honestly, I feel like that, that should breed more discussion for some of them. Yeah, because there are guys that maybe aren't thought about as much, although I would say these 46s, there's a surprising number of good players wearing number 46. And guys who have worn number 46 for a while, because Matt Cottrell's worn that since he came into the league, and I know you are very keen on Matt Cottrell, for example. Carlton's rise was largely predicated on Cottrell getting more involved and creating havoc, using his speed to open things up for Kernow, for the other forwards. I think part of why Saw didn't get as many long sequences and bounces is because you had Cottrell just kind of rolling and sometimes taking on some of that carrying role from the back, along with more the emergence of 30-year-old Nick Newman. Other guys in here, um, I'm just going to say it now, Callum Brown is a forward. We really like Callum Brown. That game in the rain against Hawthorne in 2022 made me a massive fan. This is Callum M. Brown, the one who plays for the Giants, the one from County Derry. Like, yes, he can do things defensively if he has to, but he's miscast there. You know, you could throw him back there, like, in a late-in-the-quarter situation where it's like, we gotta just stop him by any means. But he he belongs up front. He can do a lot of pretty neat stuff, creating whether it's off the ground, through the air. He's got the soccer skill set that you really see. Um, he went goalless in his first four games last year, one of which he was subbed out of, and then he had goals in... 13 and 15 to close out the season. And the Giants went 13 and 6 with him. And then, of course, we have the Rucks that you're going to think of wearing 46 because big guys wearing big numbers make sense. Or number one. Big guys can also just be number one. I'm fine with that. But yeah, you don't usually see a lot of big guys wearing like, I don't know, 27. Yeah. Is there something about the number 46 in particular? Is there some great Ruck who wore that in the past and it's just really obvious and we haven't figured this out before? I googled, why do rocks wear 46? Got nothing. Or, or is it, or does it just go back to school days where just like the biggest jersey numbers are the biggest sizes? Yeah, that's how like youth baseball was, at least around here. That's how a lot of sports are at the youth level. The The bigger numbers go to the, are on the larger jerseys. Anyway, I, I like how uh, in the, the local league in our hometown, uh, in like total Giants country here on the peninsula, uh, it was a Dodgers fan who uh, might still be in charge of ordering the uniforms. And so we got like all these Dodger numbers in there. Yeah. For a while it was 66 because of Yasiel Puig. 74 for Kenley Jansen. Yes. 99 for Hyunjin Ryu. Also known as Korean Jesus. Anyway, yeah, there are some good Ruckman that wear 46. Mason Cox is on that list. Our runner-up is a Ruckman. That is Oscar McInerney, who deserved some careful consideration, but ultimately... I feel like you have to give this one to a guy who can be a Ruckman. He can also be a defender and a forward and a midfielder and everything else. He's a really good athlete. Did you know he's a former steeplechaser? Mark Blitzoss is a former steeplechaser. Maybe the player who goes most above and beyond the listed stats of anybody in the entire sport. And you have no ability to just place him anywhere on the field in an all-Australian team. So of course he belongs on the interchange, even when he's probably in the best 22, as he was last year. You can match him up against any team's best player at any spot. You know, he averaged 
little under 16 disposals a game. He kicked 12 goals in 19 games. It's not like the numbers are that crazy. It's the athletic ability, the versatility, the fact that you can throw him anywhere one-on-one or just create problems positionally with his mix of size and strength and speed. Oh, have him as an extra number anywhere on the field, and it's a positive situation. And it also just makes constructing a lineup easier because if someone else is out, you know, it's not like we have to replace our best halfback with another halfback. It's just we move Blitzobs there and then just throw our best guy available in another position. It's it's, it's a nice luxury to have. His late season, I believe, was what? A pretty bad pulled hamstring? I believe that's right. I mean, you said it at the time, even when the Cats were still fighting. Like, once he was out, you said, get it. Yeah, he's... That's the kind of player he is where his absence will be as telling as that of any player in the league. He is such a transformative player. If you haven't watched Jalon closely, watch him closely and you'll notice the impact he makes. I'm sure he's a pain in the ass to play against because it's also like, how do you even prepare for a guy where you don't know where he's going to be deployed? He can do so many different things. It's not that he's great at any one particular thing. He's very good at everything, and he's got a body type that allows him to play at some roles that usually, usually like smaller guys are playing at. It kind of forces teams to gamble when they're playing against him in terms of some of their lineup selection and in terms of just the situational things when you're even mashing up right against him because of any which way he can move the ball. I think we can safely say he is the most unique player of the sport right now. Like, who would be second in terms of most unique player of the sport? No idea. Ethan, the answer is Mac Andrew. Oh, yeah. I do really like him. You just like watching him run. Yes, it's very entertaining to watch him run. I, I knew I had to shoehorn Mac Andrew in here somehow. Yes, thank you for doing that. Uh, moving on to number 47, just how I was fascinated by Mac Andrew. I know you were very interested in one of the number 47s. Yeah, a few number 47s around the league this year, all younger guys as it makes sense. But one that really caught your eye mostly during the preseason and seemed like you were correct in uh, getting your eye high. Yeah, he was my sleeper pick for his team this year. I'm talking about Anthony Caminiti from the Saints, of course. Runner up, Jai Menzi. And then we also threw Hawago Oya and Quentin Narkel in there, even though they didn't play a ton. Those might be all the 47s. We love Ace, obviously, for for his story and the energy that he can provide and the energy that his family provides watching the games on TV. That's something we missed this year compared to last, seeing the the, the scenes from the Papua and crowds watching him. And Menzi had some strong goal-scoring ability as well, but Anthony Caminiti had so much importance near the start of the year for the Saints when Max King was remaining out. He was the very last man on their list, and already at age 19, is playing up to his size, knows how to use his body tied really well, perhaps a bit too unafraid at times, given the disciplinary issues he had. He got three games from the Gather round. for striking Nathan Murphy and went to the tribunal again, I think, for action against James Sicily, but got cleared there. He's going to mature. He's got the right staff around him to kind of reel him in. And he had a couple slumps in there, had one around the halfway point, had one at the end of the season, was subbed out of the elimination final. But in the time that he had on the AFL Oval, showed enough promise for someone right at the end of the list and in a far more highlighted role than I think even he would have expected at the start of the year that 
things are looking up for him. You've got a mix of Kennedy and Cooper Sharman going forward as second and third in the Saints' tall attack behind Max King. And I think that's a pretty nice plan. And you're right. I caught on to him in the preseason when I was able to watch some of the action live, go back and see some of the scratch matches and then the, the official community series. And I think he was the only player who had yet to make his AFL debut that we named and that either of us named as a sleeper pick in our home and away previews. And I think I hit that pretty well. His ability as a physical forward is really impressive. Just he's got to learn how to, you know, do things that don't get him suspended. That would, that would be good. Yeah. And, and he's, more willing to take on some of those rougher physical matchups than Max King is. So if he can body up against someone and free up King, that that would be another kind of evolution in his game. And I think one that we should expect going forward. At the start of the season, though, can look at a couple of the multi-goal games he had as the Saints got off to their hot start. When they completely outdid the Bulldogs in round two, he was a big reason why with a nine mark and two goal effort there. Obviously, the Bulldogs hadn't quite found their footing at that point. We had a lot of questions about both clubs then, but if you give Caminiti another full summary here, now with the team with this spot secured and a healthier forward list around him, I think he'll have a more comfortable time this year, and I don't really expect a sophomore slump from him. Yeah, I don't either. I think there's just more room to grow and just continue ascending upward. I think in part because he already had some of those difficulties this year, and I think in part just because yeah, he's He's good. 19 goals in 18 games, scored goals in 13 of them. There's a lot of room there, and I'm looking forward to watching his growth. And now, the best of all. Number 48, Mark Keane. He is the best number 48 to appear in a game this year. He is the worst number 48 to appear in a game this year. He is one of only two number 48s to have been on an AFL list in 2023, the other being the amazingly named Steely Green of Richmond. Steely Green is probably the second best name on an AFL list behind Shadow Brain. Yes, correct. Is he still on the Lions list? I forget. He was a Category B rookie this past year. But in terms of the 2023 list, yeah, those were the two best. He is still on the list. Good. Steely Green and Shadow Brain. I feel like that that's just like a superhero duo waiting to happen. Somebody on r slash AFL get onto that. It's going to be like Stretch Dude and Clobber Girl. I was wondering if either of them would, like, fit the arm fall off boy mold. Mark Keane played in the final five games of the year for the Crows. They won three of those. Probably should have won a fourth. I mean, there's no knowing if they end up winning that game, but their odds would have at least been pretty good. Pretty consistent in that he had between 12 and 15 disposals in each of those games. He had between 7 to 11 kicks, and he had 3 to 5 handballs. I think it was the the first game that impressed us the most because there he was matching up in his Crows debut in Showdown 54, outdoing Charlie Dixon in the air. You're asking anyone to do that when Dixon isn't reasonable half. That's a tough enough task. You're asking a guy to do that who hasn't played at the AFL level since round nine of 2021 and in between went back home to County Cork to play Gaelic football. And I was almost lost for words with how impressed I was with him. And remember, this was a Crows team that was seriously undermanned in defense at that point. Tom Dude was out for the year. Nick Murray was out for the year. They had both done their ACLs. Jordan Butts was out. So it was Keen, Josh Worrell, and Max Michelani that at the end of the season really carried 
that group, along with some contributions from James Borlase, who is built like an NFL linebacker, and I'm glad has gotten another opportunity with him. I think it would have been pretty funny if the only player to wear a number would have just been, like, the absolute shits, but I'm glad Mark Keen wasn't the shits. He had a good year, and I'm happy for him. He's a genuinely good story to come out of this past season for the Crows, and in terms of the list for next year, good news, Ethan, he's still 48. Mark Keen is still 48. That's some of the best news of the offseason. Number 49, we have two choices. Between them, they played a total of seven games. One of them played five, the other two. And we can say this year proudly that number 49 did not win a single game in the AFL in 2023. Jai Coley is our pick ahead of Ned Moyle. Ned Moyle, I will just mention really quick, he, you know, filled in for Jared Witts for a couple games. Uh, he's just a big fucking dude. Like, he's not just tall. He's just, like, everything about him is large. Giggity. That's not even what I was going for. Like, dude's got big arms. Dude's got big hair. Probably has, like, big nostrils and eyebrows. 206 centimeters, which puts him at 6'8", 6'9", 104 kilos, 229 pounds. The student's 21. He's going to get more opportunities at some point. The question is where. Is that going to be the Gold Coast jumper? And when it comes to Cully, I'm disappointed at just how this season ended up being lost for him to his ACL because... He was primed to have a pretty important role this year on an Eagle squad that was obvious was going to struggle from the very beginning. Not a guy that's going to get a huge number of touches, but will have impact with his speed and his willingness to venture into the forward 50. Had a four-goal performance in a loss against Port that definitely turned some heads the right way. And then two weeks later, the season was lost for him after just one touch against Richmond. He is on a one-year deal at this point, which is concerning as an Eagles fan, because I don't want to let this guy slip away. And it's not just because he wears dreads, although dreads are usually the sign of a good athlete. There was a fun little YouTube short I saw of like a college football coach deciding between a couple players who had like basically identical stats. One had far better grades than the other, but the other had dreads, so the dreads won out, of course. <laughs> Of course, I think Cully actually cut off his dreads. No. Yeah, he, he cut it off, cut them off in September. What? That kind of ruined my night. It's okay, you've still got Ryan Myers. I mean, he doesn't even really have dreads. He just kind of have hair. In that case, guys with hair. I guess. Guys with dreads was an early episode title of ours. Doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. That's, that's unfortunate. Well... I guess uh, we got one number to go here. It's number 50. We have three to choose from that got AFL action this past year. Third is Jai Ferrer. Second is Ben Brown, who I was begging to get more AFL time this year because I thought he really could have been a solution, someone that would have fit the strategy that Melbourne ended up deciding on. Ben Brown, the most woke player ever. He honestly is. Oh, yeah, he is like extremely socially liberal. To the point that it becomes kind of a caricature of himself, especially like when we reference him in our own conversations. Yeah. But, you know, do your thing. It's just, it's just amusing. It is. I also find it amusing that he let people cut off his hair when he was shaving. I think it was in solidarity with one of his cousins. Yeah, it was for a good cause. It wasn't just because. Still looks so weird for him to be without his long hair. Anyway, the winner is Marlon Pickett, who wouldn't win it with most other numbers. Nobody's 
not a bad player, I think. There were some times in 2022, like I remember when the Tigers kept blowing close games, he was one who would come under some fire. But he also worked really well in that as that halfback link with Dan Rioli these past couple of years. And, and we got to give him credit for that. Wasn't as regularly put at halfback this year, and so was able to return to more of that forward-pressured role, which had made sense for him in his first couple years with the Tigers. The biggest things I remember from him this year were the game winner in round 12 against the Giants, which ended up being the Tigers' first like close win in forever. And it wasn't the case where they just kind of let things get close at the end. He actually had to kick the winner in an even game in, I think it was in the last half minute at the show, Brad, right? Something around a half minute left when he kicked the winner. It was pretty late. It was like, on one hand, good for them. On the other, it was like, all my jokes were dead. And also for the Giants, like, of course it has to be Marlon Pickett, the one who had the dagger against you on grand final debut. Then the next week, another great pressure game, and then got arrested. I'm not sure if we know anything about where that case has progressed yet, which is probably for the better for him. But I imagine this one is, we'll learn more in the next couple months before their training really ramps up before the season begins. I don't want to end this all on like a sour sort of personal note, but it's something that you can't really separate from his footy story, given how he got there in the first place. And I hope that that he wasn't involved to the to the extent that some people think he was, because I really want to believe that he's turned things around for the better. I don't really have much else to say about it. But yeah, hopefully he just, you know, does smart things and takes care of himself. That would be good. Yeah. So that's the 50 right there. And what I find interesting going back and looking at kind of what we analyzed here in terms of which players we chose that we did end up getting a pretty good selection of the top players in the league. It's not like any one number is like ridiculously stacked to the point that it really detracted from from others. Like I'd say that probably the best crop of players were 3, 10, and 22 overall. Those are where we had really our toughest arguments in terms of some of the biggest groups. And then also pretty amazing that both the All-Australian captain and vice captain this year won number four. We ended up being pretty damn happy about Toby Green being selected the All-Australian captain, even though Bontempelli was overall the real MVP of the season, yeah? Yeah, just considering the year the Giants had, considering the year that Toby had, considering that it was his first year as captain and he was such a positive impact, which most of us didn't expect, us included, it would be hard not to pick him just from like that narrative standpoint. And the Giants also featured the most on this 50-player list that we had. Eight Giants chosen, those being Tom Green, Sam Taylor, Brett Daniels, Finn Callahan, Josh Kelly, Harry Himmelberg, Harry! I don't trust like that. Kieran Briggs, and Connor Iden. I think Kieran Briggs also probably wins for the most surprising pick. Yeah, if you had told me at the start of the year we were going to do something like this, he would have been completely off the radar. Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like it would have been Briggs, and then second would have been Hammond Nitty, just because he was such an unknown coming into the season. Yeah. And you already talked about, you know, which guys would be, which you think would be like the hardest for them to to put back on the list next year. And he said Jeremy Howe would be that guy, even though, you know, that's not a knock against him at all. Yeah, it's just between his age and other good number 38s being injured. I'm glad he had the recovery and the ending to the season that he did, because it was a lot of things were going to have been a long time in the making, including finally getting that premiership honor. 
through this Best Buy number, we also ended up managing to get 17 members of the All-Australian squad, including 10 who made the final team, which is pretty impressive there. We had 17 players also who were top three in their club best and fairest, including seven winners, 21 who were in the top five for the club, and 33 in the top 10. And we also featured six leading goal kickers at a club. So uh, make it out what you will. I'm not sure if we're going to go and do you know a three-episode breakdown like this every year, or if we're just going to post graphics and let people have fun with it. But I think this was a nice way to wrap up the season in a bit of a less orthodox way, while getting the chance to air out some of the final thoughts we had before moving ahead into season 2024. Yeah, and, uh, I, I don't remember how exactly we ended our final episode last year, so I don't know if we have like some continuity there. I don't really think there was anything super remarkable. I think last year's last episode was the song Scrutiny. Oh yeah. Um, I think we also went over that this year. You know, the Premiership wasn't a cakewalk, but Collingwood did know how to play the game. Yeah. And Eagles, it's time to change We're Flying High in some way. Yeah. That, we'll keep saying it. With that, our footy content will continue into 2024. We'll have season three with you soon enough. Hopefully some real collaborations coming up. You can follow me individually on Twitter at BenjaminHK01. You can follow me at Castle Media. We are collectively on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Americans Footy. We are not yet on OnlyFans, but we're thinking about it. Is Ryan on OnlyFans yet? No, he is only on Instagram at Brian. though there are some pretty exclusive photos on there that maybe should be behind a paywall. In due time, I guess. Thank you.